saying yes to natural family planning is not just about using a natural means over an artificial means. It's about the relationship. It's about the total gift of the total body, including fertility, body and soul, in the marital embrace. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. This is part two of the NFP episode. If you didn't listen to part one, that's okay, I forgive you. But yet again, this is a podcast for the grown-ups in the room, not for the kiddos. We're starting with Sister Helena Burns. Hello, my name is Sister Helena Burns from the Daughters of St. Paul, and I present Theology of the Body to teens and young adults and adults and whoever will listen. Because of its name, people contrast NFP, natural family planning, with, quote, artificial birth control. But it's not the naturalness that's the key. That's why we shouldn't even say artificial contraception, because there's nothing more natural than a, than a prosthetic arm. What? Well, a prosthetic arm does what an arm does, because you, you, you lost your arm. Contraception takes a normal healthy, functioning part of the body, system in the body, fertility, and makes it malfunction. So to use that part of the body but also thwart it at the same time is very different from not doing something, abstaining for a week. This is something that I always found pretty convincing. Why on earth should a healthy woman put herself on to a medication so that her body won't do what it is supposed to do? That's bizarre. And think about the money that's involved in that. If you've never watched the PBS documentary on the pill, I recommend you check it out. By the way, this is Sarah Perla speaking, not the USCCB. And PBS obviously doesn't look at it from the church's point of view. Just that's my spiel. But it is a pretty fascinating history. And as Fulton Sheen used to joke around, he said birth control, ironically, is neither about birth or control. Remember that little exercise on translation about humana vitae? We could really look at the phrase birth control and take that one apart. Let's talk about self-control. To understand that, like, I was not made incorrectly by God, and I have to suppress a part of what it means to be a woman and part of my body. A lot of the sort of contraceptive stuff falls usually on the woman. It's her responsibility because she's the one that's going to get pregnant. And so to think like I have to put instruments inside of myself, diaphragms and IUDs, and I have to take this harmful pill with all its side effects, it's a known carcinogen plus all the other side effects, to correct something that's wrong about me, wrong about my body. And, of course, that's not what women are thinking. They're thinking, I'm going to control my body now. I'm going to have control over my body and not be at the mercy of my body. But that is so the wrong way to look at it because we're holistic. And what did people do before our modern day when we had the pill, which was invented in 1960? I mean, there's always been forms of contraception and abortion, etc. Margaret Sanger made no secret of the fact that she thought the only way to help women was to put control of fertility into their hands alone. The concept of demanding that a woman's husband or partner change his behavior wasn't an option on the table. Back in the day, everybody was an NSP couple. (laughs) You know, like, unless you wanted to use these more extreme measures of contraception and abortion, which didn't even always work properly, whatever. So just as there wasn't really very reliable contraception until 1960, 
The rhythm, or calendar method, didn't work well for most women. We are way more complicated than that. And so sometimes today, when people talk about NFP, they don't know how far the science has really come. And we've come a long way in 50 years. So we live in an experiential age where people don't believe in sacred texts or authorities. Faith in God is very shaky. And so people want to experience everything for themselves. So it's like, try it. Try it and learn the wisdom of your body. Our bodies are smart. Our bodies are speaking a language. This reminds me of Pascal's wager. Not sure that God exists? Live as if you were sure and see what happens. This is something Lionel said about NFP. Just try it out. <laughs> he and Janet were on the Humane Vitae episode. By the way, Lionel has a doctorate, so I should really call him Dr. Yosesco. That's what happens when your friend is the podcaster. She just ignores your credentials and uses your first name. So rude. My name's Lionel Yosesco. Janet and I have been married for 13 years. We have five kids. Some point around, I think, when Tom was born, things started to get a lot easier. There's no harder life than trying to raise two kids. <laughs> it just gets fun, more fun and more uh, and easier as you go after that, and uh, or at least it has for us. I totally sprung this part of the interview on Janet, by the way. How do you practice NFP? Oh no, really? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> So I bought a book that was not a Catholic book before we got married, and it had the three things, and I didn't understand all of three, and so I was able to follow the two out of the three. <laughs> there are a bunch of different methods of NFP. So Janet and Lionel learned the symptothermal method. It does work, if you, but you have to follow all the rules. That's the thing. So it's... It shouldn't be frightening. You just have to be willing to follow the rules. And it's it's hard to follow the rules. It's really hard to follow the rules because as a woman, especially during the time when you have to abstain, that's the hardest time to abstain. That's when you are, your body is made on purpose to have babies, right? So when your body is best able to make babies, you want to do that. And following NFP means that that's the one time when you don't get to do that thing. So... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard and it's difficult, but if you communicate with your spouse well and you both know what's going on and have, I mean, you pretty much have to have a conversation every day about it, you know, like if you're, if you're ready to go ahead and do it anyway. <laughs> when Janet learned NFP, her teacher shared a little nonverbal signal that she and her husband used. A friend of mine's mother gave me a little lesson where she actually pulled out her charts and she showed me her old charts and she said, and see, this is where I got pregnant with your friend, and I won't say her name because, you know, it's private. But anyway, so she gave me this lesson, and then after we came home from our honeymoon and we were opening up all of our gazillions of wedding presents, you know, there's this one little box, cute little box, and I opened it up, and it had two little glass blue birds, very beautiful birds. And anyway, so she had told me that she had birds, that she would have them facing one another when it was okay, and looking away from one another when it was not. And so that's what I've been using for 13 years. But then I have five kids, so and, and I had three other pregnancies, too, where we had miscarriages. But So, I mean, our level of NFP is, you know, I know everything is going on, but I don't necessarily <laughs> very open use it for to have a baby or not to. So. And when the birds are looking away? We spend a lot of time, you know, sitting and talking to each other, and that can be really, really fulfilling. You know, actually 
talking about real things, you know, not like TV or pop culture or things like that, but like real things, you know, like the, reading books together. Like we do that a lot. So, I mean, I suppose that's one of the ways. I, mean, I feel like, I feel like we show each other affection in just like everyday life constantly. You know, I mean, my husband comes home with flowers and says, I couldn't wait for your birthday. And it's six months away from my birthday. Or, you know, he comes home with steak, which is my favorite meal in the world and makes me steak. And, you know, things things like that. I'm, I'm pointing out what he does because I, can't, I don't think of what I do. Okay. But it's just all day, every day, you are living for, for this other person. So you find ways to express that. You gotta, you just keep busy. <laughs> when you, Play when basketball. You <laughs> but in general, the Yasesco family is just thrilled to add to its numbers. I think you get to a point eventually where you're using NFP more as just understanding what's going on with your body and you're not necessarily trying to prevent or plan anything. It's just you know sooner that you're pregnant or that you're not because you're using this method. And I think it's just nice to also just to understand your moods and the way that you're feeling, you know, physically and emotionally when it gets things are crazy. I'm in a weird spot right now because I'm postpartum, but from day one to day 34, I can understand why I'm acting that way or why I'm extra exhausted or, you know, all those, why I'm in a great mood. It all makes more sense if you understand what's going on with your cycle. One of the differences between NFP and contraception that points to the deeper difference is that NFP methods can also be used to help a woman to get pregnant. My name is Becky Wilson. So my name is Chris Wilson. We have five children, got one baby in heaven, and one little boy that's going to be born sometime in the next few weeks. <laughs> Becky and Chris had this little pre-conversation that I thought you would enjoy. Before we start, how long have you been married, Chris? Nine years. Is it right? Nine no, we're going up. No, eight, eight, eight. It will be nine. You're right. Eight years. <laughs> okay, it will be nine years, in like a couple nine. weeks. <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard. Okay. While they were dating, Becky told Chris that she had polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, and that it meant that she may not be able to conceive. As somebody who had multiple nieces and nephews and just growing up just loving children, something I hoped for for a very long time was just to have a family, children of our own. And so that did cause anxiety, knowing that this might not be a possibility for us. But obviously they got married and hoped for the best. Becky learned the Creighton method of NFP, but charting her cycle was very difficult, and she was also aware that because of her hormone levels, she was at a high risk for miscarriage. That was something I think that was definitely stressful, but definitely a a calling for us to be very aware of, to try to really get my health right, to give whatever child we were hopefully able, able to conceive the best possible chance to have a healthy gestation and birth. So Becky and Chris drove 120 miles away to work with a NAPRO doctor. NAPRO doctors are specially trained in the science of human fertility and in treating it within the bounds of church teaching. We're going to hear from a NAPRO doctor later, and she'll explain. Worked with a wonderful doctor named Dr. Stegman, who helped us figure out what was going on with me. Figured out that I didn't have polycystic ovarian disease, but I had an ovulation defect. And he had to work with me over many months. It took, I think, probably close to a year, actually, to figure out what my progesterone levels were, what my estrogen levels were, what doses of what medications and what hormones at what time in the cycle to sort of 
get them regular, you know, to kind of optimize my body heal from craziness that it was naturally inclined to do. The Wilsons knew that they were doing the best that they could to get Becky healthy and to leave the door open for God to act. You know, I'm sure everybody remembers the first time they learn when they're pregnant. Um, I just remember how excited, but in sort of disbelief I was because I guess I had sort of accepted the fact that this might not happen. And so when we were able to to conceive, it was I just remember how thrilling it was and um, sort of just he cried. the feeling of disbelief. There, there was yeah, some definitely, crying. Definitely cried. <laughs> Chris and Becky were in tears and in shock when they learned that they would be parents. But God had another surprise for them at their seven-week ultrasound. It was actually a friend of ours' father who was a radiologist that was was, was interpreting it for us. And so he kind of came in and he said, well, everything looks good. Both babies look fine. <laughs> and that was the moment where we were like, wait a minute, both babies? Oh. I just remember looking at Chris and... All the color was gone from his face. <laughs> he looked, you know, he had this wide-eyed kind of like shocked look. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Actually, what I what I remember is the doctor. I think expected us to be able to look at uh, what we were seeing and realize there were two. But since this was, you know, our, our, for me, my first ultrasound, it didn't occur to me that the two dots there represented two children. And so he kind of had to uh, make it explicit. And once he made it explicit that, you know, that it wasn't one baby but two, I never, you know, you just don't ever expect something like this. And so since it was just so unexpected, I think that was the reason for the initial shock. Not one, but two babies. God's grace is abundant. (laughs) So Becky is really thankful for Creighton and how it made her body's fertility intelligible. She now teaches it. I do. I, um, I'm a, a certified Creighton practitioner. That kind of grew out of my enthusiasm and excitement for realizing how much natural technology can help couples with infertility. I feel like women and couples have a right to this information that is not being widely distributed. I really felt motivated and called to be able to share what I had learned through our experience with other couples, and that's been really neat. Becky is also a registered nurse. And she's seen how women struggling with infertility are often funneled straight toward IVF. I worked with a woman who went to a fertility clinic. And rather than meeting with a doctor and trying to figure out why she had endometriosis, what could they do to treat it, she was sent to a financial planner to figure out how she was going to pay for her in vitro fertilization. To her credit, she's like, this isn't what I'm asking for. I'm not asking for in vitro. I'm asking for help. I want to figure out what's wrong with me and treat it. So she found me probably by the grace of God because if you Google this stuff, it's not that easy to get a Google hit on Creighton teachers right away. But God brought her to me, and I helped her understand her cycles. She went to a natural technology doctor. The doctor just pushed on her pelvis, and she kind of jumped, and she was in so much pain, and it was just a really clear-cut diagnosis. So she had um, a particular type of surgical procedure that treats that, She and her husband had been trying for, I don't know how many years, many years to conceive. And before the six-week recovery time from that surgery was even done, she was pregnant. And they ended up having twins. (laughs) So that was one of my first patients, and it always made me so happy that it was like, 
how well this had worked for her, just like good medicine, was really able to heal her body and help this wonderful couple become parents. Becky emphasizes that NFP is not really about results. You know, there's a lot that goes into NFP besides a pragmatic outcome, like a child or, or to postpone a child. It's a whole lifestyle of self-donative love. <laughs> it's the broader context of NFP gives you this mindset that this is both a unitive as well as a procreative act, right? You can never separate one from the other. So every every act of intimacy between a man and a woman is going to already be unitive, right? It's not like it's without meaning, even if, if a conception doesn't occur. For Chris and Becky, NFP reminds them that they aren't in control of their fertility. You are not the sole creators of this child. Like, nothing happens without God speaking and letting it be so. So, I mean, you could do everything right. You could take all the right hormones and see all the right doctors and, and time intercourse perfectly based on your ovulation. But God is what makes life, what makes it fruitful. And so there's, a, there's an element of surrender. You can't control it. It's only by the grace of God that you, you are blessed with children. No one has a right to a child. Children are always a gift. And God entrusts us with his children for a time. I can't really use Chris to get to a child in that sense that it's something that we, we do together, but God is always a part of it. Pray and beg God for a child, but, you know, we realize that he's the giver of life, not us. Hopefully you listened to the episodes about infertility and adoption, where we talked more about this. So don't go misunderstanding me as if I'm saying that NAPRO is the answer to all infertility, okay? I'm not saying that. It was the answer to Becky's. And remember those rude comments that people made to Dax and Rachel in the first NFP episode? Here's a nice counter story to that. We were at a restaurant, and there was a gentleman who was sort of the entertainment at this particular restaurant. We had, at the time, we had three children, twin boys and a little girl. And as we were leaving the restaurant, we happened to walk by the man who was providing entertainment. And he said to Becky, you need to make sure that you give your little girl a sister. And that was shocking to us because typically people see you with three children and they say the typical, so I guess you're done now. You have your boy and you have your girls. And for this man to say that, was it was encouraging. It was like he was speaking life to us instead of something else. It just was uplifting. It made you want to have more children. It was just like the power of speaking life. It was so encouraging. Speak life, people. So, speaking of NAPRO, let's hear from a NAPRO doctor, shall we? I'm Dr. Karen Pohalis. I'm a family physician, and I'm also the Natural Family Planning Coordinator for the Catholic Diocese of Richmond. Here's a definition of NAPRO. NAPRO is Natural Procreative Technology. It is the medical end of the Creighton model of natural family planning. So women who um, particularly are charting the Creighton model when they are having issues with recurrent miscarriage or with inability to achieve a pregnancy or other issues such as chronic discharges or painful cycles, they can be seen by a NAPRO doctor who completed special training in interpreting the Creighton charts and doing timed blood work and timed ultrasounds. And we work to find ways to solve these problems that is consistent with the church's teachings on addressing infertility or addressing cycle problems without recourse to IVF, without recourse to the birth control pill or hormonal contraception. 
So women who come to us are going to get care that is consistent with the Catholic Church. And also they're going to get very good care because they are getting care that is actually addressing the root of the problem they have. So it's very exciting for me as a doctor to work with these women. The women are equally excited to find a doctor who will listen to them when they're having issues with NFP because often they're discounted. We're going to go back in time a bit because Dr. Pujolis wasn't always an NFP-only doctor. A few things conspired to make her rethink prescribing the pill. She saw a note in her parish bulletin one Sunday urging people to pray for doctors who prescribe birth control. She was like, hey, that's me. And that's the kind of thing you look at and think, wow, should I still stay here for the mass or not? I did stay, but I read it and it talked about contraceptives potentially causing abortions. And I thought, hang on, wouldn't I have learned this in medical school somewhere? So I actually went to look it up and this was in 1995. Back in 1995, you actually had to go to a medical school library and look things up because the internet really wasn't that common. So I went to the library at Hershey and looked things up and brought articles home and read it. And I thought, okay, you really are supposed to consider this a serious problem that the pill could potentially cause an abortion. But then my next thought was, what would you do about that? I don't, didn't know any doctors who didn't prescribe in their practices. The journey had begun, but it needed a little push from someone, namely St. John Paul II. Fall of 1995, the Pope came to Baltimore, and I went with the kids downtown to try to see the papal motorcade. We didn't have tickets for the mass. So we're outside waiting along the curb, and I decided to push the stroller because kids were getting restless. And I come along this sign that says, Holy Father, we are entirely in agreement with your traditional teachings. And I thought, oh, no, it's that same thing again. I'm being stopped. So we did see the Holy Father. We were very close to him. I mean, half the width of a city street, along with everybody else along the route, we got his blessing. And something must have happened that day of which I wasn't aware because all my protestations about not being able to do this and how would I do this, Within a couple of weeks, I realized I really did need to start researching how to do this. After this, Karen was ready to take the leap, but needed some help. A newspaper landed in our driveway. It was a sample for a paper we didn't normally get. And I opened it up, and in there was an ad for a doctor about 25 miles away in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, who was starting her own NFP-only practice. And I thought, okay, so now there is someone doing it. I'm kind of running out of excuses here. So I called her office and said, you know, I'm really not calling to request an appointment. I just want to see if she can call me because I'm curious about how she practices. And she called me back quite quickly. Karen was at the point that she needed to tell the partners in her practice that her conscience would no longer allow her to prescribe birth control. She did it during Holy Week and was pleasantly surprised by how accepting they were. The next step was letting her patients know. Generally, people took it well. The one time I was nervous about someone getting upset about it was actually the father of a patient who called me to complain that his teenage daughter wasn't able to get her pill prescription from me anymore. He was upset because I was denying her essential care. I did talk to him and calmed him down, but told him basically that this apologized for the inconvenience. She could see anyone else in the practice or outside of the practice elsewhere in the area, but that I wouldn't be able to help her with it anymore. Since then, patients don't generally make it to Karen's office unless they already know her position on birth control. The receptionist tells them up front, and if they want the pill, they see one of the other doctors at the practice. If by some fluke they end up in her office, Karen explains and doesn't charge them for the visit. 
If you embrace the fullness of this teaching, we have a unique way to reach patients' lives that I would have never envisioned when I was in medical school. And I considered myself a really faithful Catholic at the time, still writing the pill, but didn't know that. But I mean, I just had no idea what my, how God could so closely move in your practice. And he wants to move in our practices if, he would just, if we just give him the room to get in. Karen went to be trained in NAPRO, in part because her heart goes out to couples who long for children. And God has been so good as to show her the fruit of her work. When I first started doing the NAPRO thing, before I had my first infertility patient, a woman had come into my office. She had seen one of our other providers. She was pregnant, and she was seeing her OB. She started spotting, and she had already had a miscarriage, and said, well, you know, go to, go to the office, go to their office, get blood work drawn. You know, I'm sorry, you're probably losing it again, but let's watch the hormones. You know, let's see what happens. Because he had checked a progesterone level on her a little bit prior and the hormone level was okay. So he thought, well, she must be fine. It's not that. So it must be something else. But, you know, inevitable, it's going to happen. But when she saw one of the other providers, the woman came out of the room and came to me and said, hey, Karen, you just took that thing in Nebraska. Maybe you should go and talk to her instead of me. So I went in and we decided to go ahead. I told her that I took this course and we could check another progesterone level and I had progesterone in the office. We could give her a shot and see what would happen. She ended up carrying to term. And um, a couple years ago, I had moved. And the very first trick-or-treater at my new home was him. I hadn't seen him. Actually, I think I had seen him once because they weren't my regular patient. But out of the darkness, I hear the mom call, Dr. P, is that you? And I'm like, she goes, it's so-and-so. And this is, you know, and this is Elijah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So it was my very first trick-or-treater was my very first progesterone napro save. And I, I like, Facebooked it. I was like, I have to. Like, not a picture, nothing identifying, but I'm like, my first trick-or-treater was my first NAPRO baby born. And it's just like, and people are like, oh my gosh, it was just like amazing. That is amazing. Because they were trick-or-treating in a neighborhood that wasn't even their regular neighborhood. They drove in to get to mine, and this is what happened. Karen knows that it's really a grace to be involved in people's lives in this intimate way. I'm not sure proud's the right word. To be honest with you, I'm more, sh- I'm more kind of humble that I got the call to do it. I'm honestly just your kind of average family doctor out there. And before all this happened, I was definitely the very much average family doctor doing average family doctor things. And I think the events around my conversion to using NFP and things that have happened since, when I sit back and look, things that I thought were coincidences were definitely not. God had his hand on it. I think sometimes he picks his weakest tools to do his work, and I'll be proof of that. I love working with the people I'm getting to work with. They're people of great integrity, the people in the NFP community. I love them. They're co-workers, they're friends. They're almost family. I still sometimes kind of sit there and go, why is it me who's here? But God has his plans. So when it comes to NFP, couples should use what method works for them. And the NFP world is so small that I'm not sure that arguing over which is the best method is productive. But let the record show that I attempted to interview couples who used a variety of methods. I tried to make sure that I didn't have couples who all use the same thing. I'm sure there are others out there, but y'all can just, you know, you do you. Here's a little clip from one of my evening phone interviews when I had to yell at my cat, Fitzwilliam, just to keep it real. Hey, stop it! Also, I want to give a really quick shout out to Krista Hall at St. Meinrad's. They are doing a great podcast called Echoes from the Bell Tower, and I think you should check it out because as far as I can tell, they are the only other Catholic group that is doing storytelling. So check them out, 
And thank you, Krista, for all of your help. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.